Tell me who's that riding, John the Renovator. Tell me who's that riding, John the Renovator. Tell me who's that riding, John the Renovator. Wrote the book of property. Welcome to the Renovator. Uh, it's John Adams, and I've got with me today a really good friend of mine, uh, brother from another mother, and um, fellow investor fellow 203k mortgage and veteran advocate uh, Mr. Two Mullins. Uh, we got him here today to tell about uh, his experience in investing, helping other clients through the process, and more importantly how they finance uh, flip or fix and flips uh, and opportunities for people to buy homes, live in them also, and do the same things that investors and seasoned flippers do. So. Um, we talk a lot on this program about investment. Uh, this kind of comes full circle to how do I do my first one? How do I uh, put this in arm's reach of somebody that's just trying to start their first investment? Welcome to. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, well, it was a long walk from the other side of the building, but you know, we made it. <laughs> We're here. Glad to have you, man. So your experience in this whole business, uh, You've been originating loans how long? I've been originating uh, since 2004. All right. Well, how did we meet? How did we meet? I believe um, you and I met. Uh, actually, I remember exactly when we met at a real estate office. Uh, and I guess you could call it, you know, I guess competing for the, the same business. So out there in the streets uh, where that's known to happen. And I think I was giving like an introduction or we're getting an opportunity to speak. And I heard you speak and I was like, man, I don't know that guy. I um, heard what you had to say and what you were talking about. And I was like, okay, so he's here kind of on the same uh, plane that I'm here. So I got to meet that guy. So oh, yeah, I remember that. And uh, years later, we started our own mortgage brokerage together. Yeah, not that long after that when you think about it in not terms really, of that. Yeah. But it was a while ago. Um, so that was a great experience for me. I um, that was that that was the first time I you know was licensed as a as a mortgage broker. So that was uh, a fun experience for sure, and learning that whole side of it, um, and seeing how that's kind of uh, what's happened with that from then till now. That was a long time ago. Um, not to date it, but going back, uh, well, dare I say, pre-crash. Yeah, I was gonna say it, yeah. and then you just said it. There. I'm glad you said it. Pre-crash. Pre-crash. So pre-crash, post-crash. We made it. We're still in the business. And of course, we're talking about the financial collapse based on the housing crisis. And so we had to retool our whole business. So we were just regular average Joe, loan officer, schmuckatelli loan officers. And another uh, episode you guys can uh, download and listen to, you can hear about uh, how I lost a lot of property and uh, did things wrong. That's a whole nother podcast. But um, right after that, we got into a completely different scheme of originations yeah things change i mean it was interesting to see with banks going away i mean that was you know the the the, the whole freedom of that time and being a broker was that you had so many options and there were so many ways and there were so many people and uh there were so many just ways to be flexible and do whatever you wanted to do and that was the first time i had ever experienced that business right. uh so i liked it a lot uh it was one of my favorite times in the business um it just wasn't for the you know the <laughs> the screeching Thanks end to, to it yeah. other than that uh <laughs> great times but you know uh tides turn as they, they they're they're known to and what happened here i mean it was 
Um, you know, I lived here at the beach then too, not far from where I live now, and you'd see it all the time. I mean, it was, you know, every house for sale on, you know, multiple flips and uh, bought and sold in one day, listed and sold in one day, a lot of that. And, you know, that eventually ended up um, resulting in. Well, I mean, you, you uh, said it too, it comes full circle. We talked about yeah. that a couple of times. Right. How does that make you feel about what's happening today? It's interesting. I mean, a lot of people, you know, that, uh, you know, we talk about loss. There was a lot of loss during that time. And a lot mm -hmm. of people lost a lot. And uh, that was significant and that, you know, you don't forget that. And, um, you know, you saw, though, um, what I've seen in the experience is how resilient people are. Mm -hmm. um, some people um, that lost a little, you know, it impacts them for a very, very long period of time. Other people um, handled that uh, or traversed it a little bit differently. So there was a lot of options and a lot of ways that you could still... Uh, you know, play this thing out that, um, you know, have has now, like you said, come full circle to where a lot of people have either entered and re-entered the game. Some people are still maybe coming back in, but there's a lot of people that have that weary sense, and I don't blame them for that um, because of what happened um, and how it all happened or whatever their experience was. But what happened here locally was that there were a lot of properties that were available that sat there for a while, as you know, um, and became stagnant. Hmm. And so, you know, opportunities um, start to kind of come with that. And it just took a while to play its way out through the system and with the banks. And um, that's just never, you know, that's, that's not a, a sprint, but um, it created a lot of opportunities for people that we've seen. So right now we've got a saturation of investors and buyers. And so the opportunities aren't as, um, <clears throat> as often as, as we had them, you know, during the crash and recovery periods, but they're still out there. For sure, yeah, and people are being selective too, yeah. uh, but there's just not, you know, not, not as much to look at, I guess you could say. Not, not as much inventory. So, what's the solution? People are looking for a house today. Right. Investors, people that are actually looking for a home that they can buy in their price range. Right. In our area, in particular, there's certain price points that everybody's looking for and there's just no inventory. Yeah. So tell us about how we dovetail for somebody looking for a home. Mm -hmm. um, some of those products that you specialize in, how does that translate? Because nobody, you know, you know, searches online for a renovation loan. Everybody's looking for the house. Right. So walk us through that. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of first-time buyers in the market. And we were talking about the other day how a lot of buyers, whether it's for a primary residence or whatever kind of residence, people are, are, are looking with their investment cap on. Mm. So with inventory being limited, a lot of people are looking to, or maybe forced to look at just because of what's available, um, homes with maybe scratch and dent quality, or maybe looking at multifamily opportunities to live a little bit smaller, but having the opportunity to, to, to co-invest or to maybe pad the investment of buying a home, which I think is a really good idea. Um, there's a lot of flip opportunities that have kind of come back um, with renovation. Um, you know, many investors, and it depends, you know, you, you, you kind of preface it from someone looking to get started. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And it means different things to different people. We see people right now that are looking for opportunities to get in that are maybe renting and maybe um, okay with that and want to look at opportunities to still invest, potentially renovate, maybe buy and hold, or even flip for cash opportunities. So we see a lot of that. Um, I think people that have gotten a handle on 
uh, buy and hold here over the past couple of years, um, you know, with rentals, maybe in a situation sometimes where they're looking to get a little bit more cash flowing or cash coming back. So we're looking at the, you know, the flip and the possibilities of that. Um, with what I do with renovation lending, there's a lot of avenues to help with that. A lot of um, uh, people learn when they're researching about this that you can actually use financing to leverage that and not just purchase, but also, you know, include your costs for materials and contract labor for improvements and repairs and updates and upgrades that may make a home livable for you or maybe for you and a tenant or maybe um, another potential buyer. So we see a lot of that with different avenues and money being fairly inexpensive still. And with there being a lot of money back in the economy, there seems to be other private money that's out there too that is just kind of sitting around not earning a lot for people. And that offers opportunities for people to maybe come in um, and do the same thing. So there's a lot of people talking about the Burr method if you're just tuning in or maybe you're a newer investment investor. Um, of course, you know that means buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. So all those steps are pretty generic, but in essence, a renovation loan can kind of, a, a, you know, you tackled a bunch of the topics there we're going to have to dissect. Uh, but the first part about that is figuring out ways that you can find equity and property by either, you know, fixing something that wasn't there, right. similar to the Burr method. Yes. Um, buying a home that could even, you know, potentially, even if you, you know, were doing a first time home buyer situation, you can house hack it. What I mean by that, that means can you produce like a mother-in-law suite or um, a second unit like a duplex, triplex, or quad, right? Uh, where you can offset the cost of your living or multi-generational living, where you're having you know maybe mom and dad have to come live with you or some other folks in uh, your extended family. So kind of you know just you know, walk us through some of the novice investor that's not really thinking about that. They're mm -hmm. thinking about trading in their their monthly rent for right. their own mortgage and kind of the, you know, the, the precipice that hits you, you know, right in the forehead is, oh my God, I'm going to have this obligation every month. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we immediately see to think about, well, how can we get that number down? What mm. can we do to mm -hmm. improve that? How can I fix something else maybe to kind of to <laughs> tackle that and help in doing that? And people are smart right now and they are looking for opportunities like that. Our market offers that. There's a lot of homes with a lot of potential. Um, I've seen numbers that have referenced anywhere uh, in Jacksonville and the surrounding area of saying um, that you know 75 to 80 percent or so of homes are over 20 years of age, so meaning that most homes could use or need something if someone is looking to sell or if a new buyer is coming in, whether it's updating. But people are thinking outside of the box with that too, and um, you know, part of what we spend a lot of our time doing is trying to educate people that they can not only do that to improve it and bring it to where it's, uh, where they want it to be today, but if you have the vision to maybe, um, you know, open up that back end or maybe do an extension or an addition, um, just thinking down the road, not just to make it, um, you know, fit their lives better to maybe, um, um, like you said, to help, uh, you know, extended family or multi-generational housing but also looking at and keeping in the back of their mind for investment opportunities in the future, if it's a rental or maybe even a resale to add value. And that's a really good house hack right there too. A lot of house hacking is pretty much thought to be um, just finding that extra accessory unit or something you can rent out, but um, in zoning where it's allowed, maybe you can put in that accessory unit that doesn't exist. Maybe 
um, you're looking for a 3-2 with an ensuite bathroom and you do find in your price range a nice 2-1 where you can add that master and the ensuite and create exactly what you want that doesn't exist in the marketplace. Right. Yes, yeah, so that being, uh, you know, being able to leverage that and being able to not just leverage it, but leverage it from a very, uh, relatively speaking, low threshold of investment by using the bank, um, you know, versus, you know, using cash to do that. Um, that is an opportunity uh, for that person, but maybe the first time coming in, you're not, you're not in that position yet, um, but are ready to make an investment and learning that you can do that with you know, as, as little as 15 to 20% down, just depending on that of the entire project, um, is a little bit more doable for, for uh, more people than, you know, looking at ponying 100% of the, the purchase and acquisition cost and rehab. As a mortgage lender, I kind of look at that burr process, you know, and I look at what people are doing on, you know, those bigger pocket sites and other uh, rich dad, poor dad, like philosophies of thought. Right. So burr is not a bad method. But when I think about that in terms of being an MLO and I in the mortgage loan officer, and when I'm talking about the the sheer costs for closing in the state of Florida, closing costs are a real thing. So you really have to think about that, especially when you're thinking long term for investments, because when you roll over costs and you refinance, you wind up having to take out a bigger mortgage just for the sheer fact that you're doing another mortgage. So I, I think that people are scared of renovation loans sometimes because they think they have to get a contractor and they should um, and they have to you know put all of the costs for the contractor to the purchase price everything under one mortgage but can, I, can you kind of tell us or walk us through why that might be a better option than doing those separate burr steps because right. when you when you do that burr you're essentially doing a renovation loan, but all in one transaction, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Walk us through that. And there's a lot of ways. There, there's a couple ways to do it. And you know what renovation financing shows us is that is overwhelmingly the more cost-effective route of going. You talk about rolling closing costs and things like that. You know, the idea is to kind of you, you want to limit the transactions there. You know, in the in the sense of preserving your gains or, or the you know to increase your profit. So having the opportunity to um, come in and negotiate um, a potential property as it sits is an opportunity in and of itself and that's kind of where you want to start and looking at um, you know what it looks like from an investment standpoint um, you know doing your diligence and looking at comps looking at as-is comps looking at improved comps that are around to give you some general perspective of what the potential is for reinvestment and that kind of opens the door to renovation and then you know knowing where you uh, you know that being a big part of it having a team around you to help you with those things really comes um, into play um, you talk about the implications of mortgage costs um, you want to be thinking about the implications of taxes you want to be thinking about the implications of resale um, to keep everything open so as not to pigeonhole yourself in you want to have ways out just in case mm. things change that are outside of your control so negotiating the price up front is a great opportunity uh, to start the investment and then looking at with a, with a contractor, which you absolutely should do, um, to give you an idea of the nuts and bolts, but also a, a solid breakdown of the cost and clear and concise understanding between you and the contractor so that when that uh, converts over to the bank and the contractor, that the loan process and the appraisal process for the valuation um, and the structural and functional aspect of the house is looked at 
and understood to bridge the gap so the bank knows that it's writing a, a good loan on a good property regardless of where it sits today. We want to look at the future and um, now the bank's going to hold everyone accountable to do that, including your contractor, which is essentially the, you know, the, the, the crux of the thing, making, making the whole thing work. Um, so putting that number into play along with the cost of the home, the number of, you know, the, your, your contract dollars to improve the materials and the labor, um, and wrapping that, having the ability to do that with one loan, um, it creates a situation for the buyer where their investment relative to the whole is very insignificant, very nominal. And buyers see that opportunity and um, are going for that more, whether it's going to be for a buy and hold or maybe even a resale if your numbers are there and you've got potential on the back end um, to sell the home. So you've now created a situation where you've got a low cost investment, you're borrowing the funds versus using 100% of your own money and putting the risk out there. The bank's going to allow you to leverage it. And you can do that in a way that if you were to compare it to looking at the cost after the fact or finding another way to finance it or doing it over time or doing contractor finance or putting it on a credit card or working with Home Depot and paying th that direction, you see that it's not only less tax effective in doing that, but it's also more costly. Well, and, and then the sheer thing about alternative financing to something like what we're talking about. What does that look like in comparison and, you know, does that create more urgent time sensitive and, and could it, you know, incur more costs? Private money? Yes. Or notoriously hard money. Dare we say hard money. Dare we say hard Dare. money. Yes. And that's a real thing right now. Private money is available because the economy has come back. Liquidity is really good for companies, banks, and also individuals. So that's an opportunity for some people that maybe um, that wasn't there a few years ago or that maybe is less expensive today as a result because there's more of it. There's some competition amongst those lenders. It's an opportunity to do that, and it's also an opportunity for the lender, the private lender, to earn a little bit more than maybe parking their money in savings or other safer investments uh, for shorter-term um, returns. So. That's a real thing, but it also comes at a slightly higher cost than looking at more conventional financing like what we offer on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but, you know, there's many ways to do this, and that's why there's many options out there. So just walking back through this one more time, and I hate to get a little esoteric with it, but the Burr method, buying. So you mentioned right up front with a renovation loan, the best opportunity is being able to buy a home as is. Right. So pretty self-explanatory. Um, we're competing a lot with cash though, right? So the if you don't have cash, right, the next best thing is having a loan that can deal with a property like that. So, um, you know, opportunity happens when you have preparation and you meet something that just happens, right? like an opportunity, like a property that's maybe below market because of those things wrong with it. Yeah. So we found this house, um, uh, we renovate it, those are costs, right? That's a whole nother part of Burr. Right. Um, and then we get into it, we figure out how to hash, house hack. Can we move in it? Are we using this as our primary residence? Is this a strictly investment property? Or um, can we, you know, is it multifamily where we can, you know, rent a portion of it out to offset the cost? Right. And then refinance and repeat. So a renovation loan essentially is skipping multi-transactional steps there sure um, so you're eliminating some closing costs absolutely and you're not having to worry about refinancing to get more money out of the future value because 
I guess the biggest thing that I really want you to, you know, kind of touch on by saying all this is when you use hard money and you're going to buy that opportunity house, you're assuming that based on your predictions for either future market value or what you think is the value, what's the difference with a loan? How do we know the value is going to be there? Well, I think you take a lot of that risk out in working with a more conventional loan. You want to have multiple ways out of this. You know, I think exit strategies are really important because there's really big external factors that you can't control. And that can be anything from government to taxes or larger economic changes that maybe affect resale ability or you know, affect uh, consumers' ability to buy. Hmm. So with private equity money or private funds, you know, the terms are, you know, hard or harder, um, hence the hard money. So, you know, there could be other artificial timelines built into that that you want to consider. Sometimes there's prepayment penalties. Sometimes there's balloon features. Um, you know, other times where you have to go back and re look at renegotiating it, which essentially means refinancing and incurring costs that are already at a higher scale um, because we're doing the hard route. Um, Mortgage financing allows you to kind of buffer around that and can kind of control those things. So if you're looking at maybe you're you're, you're going in and you're thinking flip. We want to we want to renovate and we want to resell. We want to take ownership of this home and essentially put the for sale sign in the yard the same day as we renovate it to get the word out that we're going to sell it. Mortgage financing can help create a buffer around that if you don't have the ability to do that because you're doing it at a cost that is far less expensive for one. Um, interest rates have dropped tremendously uh, last year. Maybe a lot of us thought that, you know, things were going to go different last year. We were expecting rates to be higher than they were at the start of the year, which weren't really in the best position, and the opposite happened. So um, that's kind of what's been spurring more of the investing that we've seen. Um, more opportunities with the housing market, too, are, are present. There's not a lot of inventory there, but, um, you know, looking at the cost-effective way, it's just about keeping that number down. That's the whole predicament. We got in, we're, we know we're going to take on the obligation, but the first question always becomes, how do we get that number down? Can we get out of PMI? Can we look at restructuring? Can we get lower insurance? How can we get the cost down? And that's what mortgage financing offers you on top of reducing the risk. So just thinking out loud, too, here, um, you are an investor. You want to do this. You want to go buy a house. Right. You test that the future value is going to hold up with the renovation amount. If you're in hard money and the market turns, could the market turn? Market could turn. Anytime, right? So if I'm in hard money and the market turns, I'm going to be liquidating that for pennies on the dollar, whatever I can, because I don't want to keep paying that high rate mortgage. I may not be able to refinance it. Right. If I use a traditional route, and when I say traditional, renovation loan isn't very traditional, but it is a conventional loan product, am I now at a better term that I don't have a prepayment penalty where I can actually debt service and potentially rent it out so I don't lose my shirt? So in comparison, absolutely. I mean, your short-term costs, your monthly expenses are going to be greatly reduced this way because you've entered into a more conventional agreement that's, you know, Got the blessing of not just the lender, but you know, larger institutional investors like Fannie Mae uh, or Freddie Mac uh, or VA uh, or HUD. So um, when you create that, you know, you are again protecting yourself, but you're also reducing the monthly cost, the short-term cost, 
and you know, uh, you know, with 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 hiccups as they come, when the the hammer starts to swing, you want to have more flexibility built around that. So you've done a few things. You've uh, done yourself a solid um, from the initial investment and saved on the initial out of pocket. You've gotten a better term in, as far as monthly interest rate, more than likely a fixed rate versus some sort of variable feature or higher interest rate or both with private money, um, which results in a higher monthly payment, which results in more interest paid and higher interest costs over time. Um, you know, we can just point to all the reasons why it's more expensive. That's a, a good way, I guess, to put it in a nutshell. It just costs more. So we've talked a lot about comparison and contrast and what's the benefit. And so we kind of got that now. But let's really just talk a little bit of, of shop about specific products, right? Right. Because we've talked about investors and for, you know, people that want to live in the home. Sure. First, let's cover what we mean by investor loans because there's multiple products. What's the best product for investors that want to use traditional mortgage financing and do what we're talking about? So, so this would be someone who knows that they're going in from day one with no intention on residing in the home. They're not going to live there. They either own another home or rent another home or have housing that's set up. And that's underwritten, and we look at that. And so certain products are available for that buyer uh, that aren't otherwise that they're going to purchase the home that they're going to live in. So what we do is we go to conventional financing. We, we look at Fannie Mae products. Um, the conventional Fannie Mae home style is a great opportunity um, for people looking to purchase and invest, not live in the home, but also purchase a home, whether it's for rent or flip, and include in the price the material cost and contract labor and wrap one loan around that. And the bank underwrites that. It verifies your housing, it verifies everything else with the loan, income assets and credit, we get that approved up front. And then also underwrites the renovation portion to make sure the home's gonna be in the condition and quality that the buyer wants it to be in and also that the bank wants it to be in. And just to clarify, that's the only product that we really have in the conventional realm for investors, but we can use that for primary and second home too. Right. You can also use that home for a conventional buyer who is intending on living in the home or maybe not living there full time, but maybe residing in it during a period of the year uh, or just having the ability to do so at their leisure uh, yeah. as a secondary resident. So that product's really flexible. It also allows you to include um, um, you know, luxury upgrades if you want to add something to your secondary home or you want to add a swimming pool that people ask about. Um, it's flexible in that it will allow you to buy uh, uh, and use it on almost any home. It could be a, uh, you know, a distressed property, we say, where it needs one new everything, or maybe even a brand new home uh, you know, that the, the, that, that's missing a feature that you want that the builder didn't want to add. So it's my, probably my favorite renovation product because it allows more and you can do more with it. And it also opens the door, not just for owner occupants, like you said, but also for someone looking to buy and rent or buy and resale. All right, well those are really good things. So just to clarify, a lot of the buzzword for what we're talking about is 203K, right? Yeah. And so we're talking about a conventional renovation loan that has multi-purposes. It sounds like we can do uh, investor financing. Right. Um, it looks like we can do second home and primary uh, financing. Right. Just for a, a kind of a recap. Um, and we need to talk about process at the end, but. Um, total acquisition cost. So that's the purchase, all of the renovation. It's not just the purchase price. The down payment is set based on 
the total encompassing project, right? right. The entire investment, right? Okay. The cost, um, not just to acquire, but also for the for the build out, the materials and the labor. Okay. And so walk us through what that looks like for each one as far as minimum down payments. Um, that's uh, investor, second home, and, and a first time home buyer or even just a move up buyer. So if you're looking to use the conventional product, so you're gonna live in this home as a primary uh, uh, residence and you wanna perform the renovation, the minimum investment from a down payment standpoint is only 5%. So that's 5% again of the purchase price plus the, the cost of repairs. So it creates a situation again where you're allowed to include the renovation budget inside of the loan and it closes just like a normal loan would in the same time period, the same way. The only difference is at the end of the process, the bank hangs on to the portion that's already been deemed necessary to do the work that you and the contractor have agreed to. So that cost is held by the bank and then paid separately in draws as the work's being completed with inspections along the way to make sure that the work's being done as agreed. So you've now not just purchased a new primary residence, but you've allowed the work to start after closing and get completed before taking residence in the home. And you do that for the investment out of pocket of 5% for down payment. Very flexible. Looking at the opposite side, if you're going to do the same thing but not reside in the home, uh, typically you can do that um, with a larger down payment because there's a little bit more implied risk if, if someone's not going to live in the home. So the bank offsets risk. Um, you know, with a little bit more skin in the game from the buyer. Um, so you can do the same thing, but it's at a down payment of only 15% versus 100% if you're going to be a cash investor. So it creates an opportunity again with someone that maybe doesn't have the liquidity or hasn't built the asset base to invest bigger or to start to leverage the bank out for other reasons to increase, you know, their own flexibility. But someone that wants to get in the game and look at uh, purchasing a potential flip property or maybe even a buy and rent buy and hold uh, can do the same thing with the 15% down payment. A common question that I get and a lot of creative, we got a lot of creative listeners, we got a lot of creative investors uh, or first time home buyers that call themselves investors. <laughs> right. um, uh, but I mean, They're if you're buying right a home, yeah. yeah, you're investing, you know, yes. uh, you're investing in yourself. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of questions come up about that equity position. So I go buy, let's say, a $150,000 house. It costs me fifty dollars in reno. So I'm all in 200000 just for an example. Right. Um, I put my minimal down, but the house appraised for 300000 too. Right. Do, do I need a down payment still? Do I get rid of mortgage insurance instantly on the purchase? Well, you've done a good thing because you're, I mean, and this is, this is the... The whole get sometimes you know trapped equity is a real thing and so when the bank looks at making a loan in some cases so your example you're paying $150,000 for a home but we're asking the bank for you know we're gonna live in the house we're asking the bank for a loan of you know to include the renovation so let's say $200,000 total project so minus your 5% down payment we're asking the bank to issue a loan for more than you're paying for the house so you know, typically that would be a, a bad collateral investment for the bank, but renovation, what it allows you to do is look at the renovation plan, the bank's, uh, the, 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 the bank's appraisal system, the bank's inspection to the home is going to evaluate the home as well and look at the functional and structural aspects to make sure everything's good. So when the appraisal takes place, typically the home and the collateral are reviewed as is, but renovation allows the appraisal process to work a little bit differently and also take into considerations the improvements that are going to be made post-closing, looking at 
what materials are going to be used, how much of them, where they're going to be used. And this is why having a really solid breakdown from your contractor and being on page with them is really important because we want to translate that very clearly, not just to the bank, but do it tra uh, translate it to the bank through the appraisal process. So we want that to be really thorough. And the appraisers typically do a good job of interpreting that when they have the opportunity to do so with a very clear and concise bid from the contractor. So we're looking at a future value engaging it, and it opens opportunities like that, like you just illustrated, to purchase trapped equity. Yeah, so trapped equity just validates what we're saying is that the investment's good, you maybe made some equity, but you can't necessarily use that equity uh, as a down payment form or to get out of mortgage insurance early without the down payment, right. but it does validate something that you could do later, maybe even a refinance to benefit yourself, sure. maybe get into a lower rate as rates decline and potentially even get out of mortgage insurance, right? So the bank has to look at the you know the whole transaction as is in today's terms, which is really fair to do. So Again, it's either the lower of the two. It's the lower of the two, looking at it in today's terms, but also opening the door for you down the road and with the appraisal value that you see, if you have the trapped equity there, you know up front, and that's a very good feeling to have that, that you've made the investment properly and correctly up front. And that's so much better than willy-nilly going into something, paying cash for a house. Got a prime example I'm working on, I'll probably have a show about, um, where you buy a home, you pay cash, uh, or either you got hard money, you think you've got a good um, ARV, as some people call it, the after repair value. Um, you go after it and then you wind up not having the equity or buyer on the other side. Right. This validates that right up front for you. Right. There's a couple other products though, but they're just for just for primary occupants only. Owner occupant properties um, and renovation. You know, we see that a lot. We saw a lot more of it when there were you know a, a, you know bigger foreclosure numbers. I was reading yesterday how delinquency, I believe, last quarter of 2019 was at a. All-time low, but all time low. very anemic number yeah. of, of delinquencies. And so we've seen the number of foreclosures drop as a result. Um, but uh, there are um, owner-occupied opportunities because, you know, the inventory that is available is aging. So we look at, um, you know, loan products that we can use for everyday homeowners. Uh, someone you were talking about them. 20 years or older. Right. When we think about that, we don't think, I mean, I'm 38, uh, so I think 20 is pretty young, right? Right. <laughs> but... Over the lifespan of a house, it, it, it does sound really young, you know, and, and you know, if, you, if, if we say the lifespan's 100 of a house, you know, maybe it needs a tune-up at some point in time, right? Need something. So we think of uh, terms of some systems that are in-house 20 years ago, they right. didn't have 410 Puron refrigerant, and now you right. can't get that. Um, with roofs, if it's, you know, 20 years old in Florida, it would be really hard to get insurance. Right. Yeah, it creates problems like that. And so you've got the situation where you've got limited inventory and a potential buyer looking and maybe they find the right home in the right neighborhood they want, the right footprint, the right schools, the right bar next to their house that they like, whatever it is. Um, but it needs a new roof or the AC is outdated or it's broken or not there yeah. um, or any of those things. So you have that. And, you know, if you're not aware of the ability to do this or your team isn't aware of your ability to do this, you could be losing opportunities at your you know, at a potential dream home for some people. Um, so there's products uh, that we can use, um, 203K being the buzzword, that's an FHA program. 203K is the um, uh, FHA renovation loan. It allows the buyer to do the same thing that we've been talking about, buy and fix. 
and include it in one loan, right? wrap one loan around the whole, uh, and, and then pay a contractor in draws when the work's complete for all the repairs. Um, it's government-backed through HUD, so it's more flexible. Uh, it's more flexible for credit scores. It's more flexible uh, for down payment. So we talked about a 5% down payment for conventional programs. FHA will allow you to do the same exact thing with 203K for an, uh, an investment, down payment investment of 3.5%. So as low as 3.5%. As low as 3.5%, and that money, we'd say, okay, well, where does that come from? There's a lot of sources for that. There's flexibility built in with FHA. This can be personal, private, um, you know, liquid funds, any money in any bank account or investment account or retirement accounts, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, anything that we can reference and show where the funds Can we get a gift from. from mom and dad? That's another option. We can look at gift funds, preferably from a blood relative that we can use um, to also help offset down payment and closing costs. Um, there's also the possibility to combine those sources, so any combination of those things. Negotiating with the sellers um, to, to look at ways to help get that number down um, being the goal. So there's a number of ways to get there, and the investment typically with government-backed programs is less. FHA, we're going to look at 3.5%. Us being in a town, though, as well, um, that has a, uh, you know, other owner-occupants that are doing the same thing with conventional, um, there's also opportunities, though, for our servicemen and women. So we uh, talked a little bit about you know buying homes and not being able to use equity. Right. We have had a ton of clients this past year have probate and family issues where they're inheriting a home. Right. How is FHA and conventional on using those programs to use some of those maybe those gifts that you get inside of a transaction where they're non arm's length they are they're definitely they are arm's length excuse me they are definitely within an arm's length of the seller or somebody that's a related party so you may hear uh, of that referred to as uh, a gift of equity mm. uh, you know um, basically meaning that um, the bank's acknowledging that a relationship exists maybe between buyer and seller they've, they, they've enumerated that maybe in the contract um, um, and spelled it out so, so the bank understands that so we look at products that are al allow you to do that and um, you know, it creates opportunities for the buyer, um, not just you know in terms of minimizing their own personal investment, but maybe it's being transferred. That's a part of the agreement, mm. um, and the bank will allow you to leverage that, and uh, we'll acknowledge that. We just have to underwrite it the right way and just make sure it fits in the same boxes, um, you know, as allowed by the loan program, um, and 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 can still do the same thing. So we've had several. Um several clients that we've been able to help these past couple of years use those gifts of equities from family members, be able to take a home um, and restore it, keep it in the family, yeah. and in many times do that with very little money out of pocket. Right. Okay. So those are a few different ways you can use the loan program. And you, you started uh, to dovetail into this one, but I want to hit it hard because it's so important. Uh, the buzzwords 203K, people call us about a 203K every day of the week right um, that's the buzzword so sometimes most of the time we know that means renovation yeah. <laughs> that means reno so uh, home style is mainly overlooked um, you know a lot of people have a, a fear of FHA 203k because of the mortgage insurance right. and a lot of people have good you know good job good down payment good credit home style is a much better option and it's not as taxing as a 203k loan so the buzzword's 203K, and it has a perception to it. There's a whole bunch of other products out there. One of the most, in my opinion, 
important, especially for this area, programs that we've been able to offer. Um, the, the folks that we can help, the, the folks that are usually targeted as, you can't buy this home because it needs repairs. Who are we helping? Well, you know, we've talked about conventional, we've talked about FHA and, um, you know, government batch. The other product that's available, uh, and this is for, you know, we talk about servicemen and women, it's, it's military, active duty. We have a lot of active duty military here locally and around the state uh, and in the region. Um, and these are owner-occupied properties. So again, investment opportunities, but also using a government-backed financing that opens things up and are more flexible on credit score by uh, all means, the most flexible in terms of down payment, uh, VA lending and VA renovation, allowing buyers to finance 100% of the cost of the purchase and the updates, repairs, labor, uh, the whole shebang in, in, in one stroke. And, and you could even do that with multifamily? And we can include not just single family homes, but also we've done a lot of condo approvals for VA. We've also done a lot of uh, multi-units, duplexes, triplexes, and quads. And just with the flexibility that's built into place, um, allow you to finance 100%. So if I'm military and I'm looking for a home, sometimes I get a perception pushed on me. Right. And it's not because they don't want to help veterans. Sometimes it's ignorance. Right. What's that perception that's pushed on me as a military? Um, There's a lot of myths that you um, you see, and we see it a lot in property listings. Um, you know, um, people uh, call and ask about a home they like, but you know, under the listing description, it may say that this home's available and for sale and in their price range, but is available for conventional or cash buyers only. And they want to know why. And um, the reason why I tell them is oftentimes it's a mis, uh, you know, it's a misconception. Um, it's a misinterpretation that in allowing a VA buyer or an FHA buyer that it's going to create more problems with the transaction and then, you know, therefore not go well for the seller, um, which is a myth, um, we know, because um, not only do, um, it, it is the loan more flexible for the buyer, but we see these loans long-term perform, I believe, better than the other products that we've talked about. So not only is it, are the capabilities there, um, I just hate to see it because it's almost like you're saying no to, to some brand of money. And when you're selling your home, I don't see why you would do that. If it were, you know, I get the advantages or disadvantages if you have multiple offers and how you can weigh and assess those, but why would you say no to any money um, yeah. when it's coming in for the right reason and it's a fair price and a fair value <laughs> and all those things? Um, that, as a seller, to me, that's never a concern, um, and, and, and nor should it be. But um, this product allows you to do the same thing and maybe. Um, go see a home that otherwise you wouldn't have been able to look at. We've seen that with real estate agents. Maybe they're not aware of the product. And it could be, again, it's a misconception. I don't mean to make it sound like someone's pigeonholing anyone or, or doing anything like that, but, uh, you know, Lack of some, learning. Some, sometimes it's what you don't know, right? Right. So uh, we also teach a class, Military Mortgage Boot Camp. We right. try to bust these myths uh, with local agents. Yeah. Uh, a lot of folks that are trying to help agents the right way. Um, but we live in Florida. Uh, we serve a lot more states than just Florida, but Florida is number one in military bases. We've got 1.3 million approximate veterans that live in this state. We've got over 900,000 with some kind of service-connected related disability in this state. Um, so a lot of people, they're PCSing. They want to go buy a home that's ready to go. 
but in the price range that are available here if it's maybe something that's just like a roof or some wood rot or maybe it's missing an air conditioner or something just silly like that that wouldn't really affect the livability but may push that out of reach for a veteran we want the world to know that you can buy a home and include those improvements it's under the alteration for improvement and repair uh, loan program that's under 26-7 which is the VA handbook and that allows the veteran to do exactly what we're talking about right now we have a lot of people that are maybe not PCSing it's a very popular uh, station uh, to ask to get a command for uh, very end of your tours uh, a lot of people like to retire here and so a lot of people are they call Florida home and they can build their dream home so we've had some changes with the blue water bill um, where now if you have full entitlement you can pretty much buy any home you can afford um, with a VA loan so it makes it the best jumbo loan program too a lot of people don't know that or if maybe you've rented a house in another state you can buy a house down here and use your entitlement again for a second home you may even have to put a small down payment but the financing terms on VA is really great what are some gotchas what are some things that we should know about if somebody's interested in a VA renovation loan how does it compare do you see discrepancy from lender to lender and guidelines well a few years ago we would say a lot that you know there were there was a myth that this program didn't exist I don't see that or hear it as much today but you know we were we were combating that um, a few years ago um, so there are discrepancies, um, though a lot of times they, uh, some of them seem to take place more in the real estate side and the contract negotiation. Um, so we try to be upfront, um, you know, not just with the buyer, but also with their agents so that all parties understand what the capabilities of the products are. So we've got a lot of information that we like to send over upfront along with the pre-qualifications. So they see that we've looked at this, that we understand the product. And it's really important that the seller know that, uh, the buyer is, you know, we've not only checked them out financially and made sure that they're going to be capable and, and, and of, of buying the home as they've negotiated, but also that they're using the right program that's going to be able to convey the property because it does them no good um, to write a contract on a home for a loan or to someone who doesn't have the right financing for the property because that's going to come in and get looked at. Um, so that's really important. So we want to spell that out up front um, in the contract and in the pre-qualification process to, uh, to, to the buyer and to their agent so they know when they're talking across the table that the sellers, they can convey that thought and understand what they're doing. So before um, we had a VA circular come out, six pages long, about two and a half years ago, that spelled out how VA renovation or the alteration for improvement and repair program should function. And so before that, it was pretty ambiguous and it was just a couple of lines that were in the construction perm guidelines and so it just basically said that if the house uh, could get comps and you could get it to appraise, then we could do it. Right. So a lot of lenders that were trying to dip their toes into the opportunity of VA renovation, uh, not only uh, to help veterans, but also to help their loan programs, um, they put a lot of limits on that. So can you tell me about the disparity between some lenders and what is actually the VA's stance on what you can do with that loan program? So, you know, some lenders that aren't more familiar with this product will, um, you know, sell this to clients as if it's an escrow repair, what we call, or an escrow holdback, which allows for repairs of, of, of minor, minor repairs, maybe broken windows or, um, you know, a few loose floorboards or, you know, something that's not entirely consequential, but the bank wants addressed. Renovation uh, with VA is, uh, is not that. It does allow for any type of repairs and improvements. 
and you can include the cost for any updates to the interior or exterior of the home. So we're talking siding, windows, doors, floors, the most popular updates, kitchens, bathrooms, appliances, um, uh, light fixtures. Um, what if so, I wanted to add like a bedroom, bathroom, bonus room, garage? Right. So uh, you're talking about structural yeah. at that point. You're talking about increasing the footprint. These are structural repairs and improvements. Some lenders say you can't do that. Some lenders do say that you can't do that. And the reality is, is that you can include those uh, today with VA financing and VA renovation. You can include the cost for those foundation repairs, um, structural additions, um, um, anything along those lines that's going to increase the footprint um, and not just the cosmetic um, or modernizing of the home. So we can include those again and not just include them in the, um, uh, in the financing, but also allow the buyer with, you know, the, um, uh, inside of their entitlement existing to where they can finance that amount at 100%. Okay. And I guess that really kind of, uh, you know, brings us full circle with what we can offer a multitude of different clients for renovation products. When we have folks on the, pro uh, the podcast, we just like to ask a couple of general questions, get them to know you. Um, and uh, define you uh, out on social media and uh, obviously your, your name contact number is going to be down in the links below right. to tell us a little bit about yourself where are you from I am from the Midwest I'm originally from Ohio um, I grew up though um, up and down the East Coast so mm -hmm. you know I'm an East Coast kid for sure um, uh, Cleveland Ohio I, I you know that's that's my hometown um, and I do grew up there a lot and lived all over Ohio also I uh, grew up in New Jersey, uh, elementary uh, school outside of New York City, uh, in the suburbs of New Jersey, and uh, lived in Virginia through some elementary and high school, and uh, or middle school rather, and then back to Ohio and South Carolina for high school. So um, kind of traveled a lot as a kid, and a lot of people will ask, well, you, you know, you must be military. You're, yeah, it must be prior military. You got to move around. My dad was prior military. He's, he's an Air Force veteran. Uh, but he was out of the military and he actually uh, worked his career in mortgage banking. So, um, you know, I've been exposed to um, lending for really all of my life. And um, it's funny, I know we talk about it sometimes, you know, I always thought that when I was in college, you know, a lot of people were like, well, what are you going to do after school? You know, you're going to go work in Charlotte, there's a lot of finance opportunities there, um, with the banks and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I felt like uh, you know, I wanted to move to Florida. My, my family had moved to Florida when I was in college. And, um, you know, I was thinking about just different areas of the country that I wanted to look at. We were looking at, you know, uh, you know, northern cities, looking at the west coast a little bit. Um, but, you know, we always wanted to be close to family. So um, we decided to move to, uh, to Jacksonville in the early 2000s, about 2004. So I moved here and I've been living here ever since and um, got into lending. It really came with the purpose of doing that. Mm -hmm. and. Um, thought that um, you know it'd be a good experience to kind of learn um, about it and so I worked with the bank for about a year and was there for about that long and knew that you know origination was was uh, you know kind of calling my name and saw an opportunity with that to help um, you know property values at the time were, were there and it kind of just was a was good for me just wanting to, to get into real estate and become um, you know, in some capacity, a real estate entrepreneur, that it was a good kind of backing for that. So just learning how to help people navigate the bank process, you learn a lot. Um, and it's a good transition into lending. And that started for me as, um, you know, doing a lot of um, internal loan consultant work and helping with home equity lines of credit and, um, you know, refinancing, and then accelerated to, you know, multiple state licensing. And 
um, you know, coming to Loan Depot uh, here a few years ago. This, uh, this show is mainly about investors and helping people get into the market. We talk um, to most of our guests about their investment experience. Uh, you have investment property. Um, what would you tell people that are thinking about getting into it? You own your home, you own an investment property, not just the investment of the home you live in. What do people not know? What do people trying to get into it, what do they need to really gravitate towards? I think that, you know, understanding the external factors and just knowing that, you know, you don't know everything. And so, you know, having a team, having people um, around you, whether it's to talk about and exchange ideas or listen or read about, that's all great. Um, but having a, a team around you on the ground is really important too, um, to navigate some of those things because, you know, you know, we work in and we, we, we talk the language of mortgage all day, every day, and most people just don't do that. Even investors that you see that work in other industries that have experience in mortgage, you know, this is still not something that they um, traverse every day. This is only a few days maybe out of the year or two or so every other year, that sort of thing, to where they're, you know, they're here and talking with us uh, closely about it, um, a new situation or an opportunity. So things change over that time, and there's a lot of external factors that do with the market and with neighborhoods and locations and you know we see more people investing from out of area to places where they you know they, they haven't seen um, out of state um, so th th that's not possible without having a team of people around you to, to kind of to, to, to help you navigate that from a tax perspective from um, you know there's a lot of there, there's a lot of things you want to think about um, so me and what I looked at was that and you know looking at key opportunities on the buy side that's always Sometimes it's easier said than done, but um, just having patience and kind of knowing what makes sense. I always tell people to break that down. Like when I hear people and they, they, they share their vision, I always find that people I think that have a more, uh, that have more success have come in with more realistic expectations. Some people don't know what that is in terms of real estate. You know, a lot of jobs look and sound different. Some people think about real estate and, uh, or, or different career paths they could have taken and you go see what that actually looks like and you realize that it's not exactly what you thought. And, I think real estate is probably one of those like times 10. It's like something that people vision, they have a, you know, they kind of have a lane that they think it's gonna be and when they actually see the reality, they're two totally different things. Whether it's, you know, a real estate professional or like an investor, they think it looks like this, but they see it and they feel it and they're, they realize that, you know, those two things were not the same thing. Real estate is, is, is very much that. So having people around you that can help and having multiple strategies Again, I think that's really smart, knowing why you're going in and being clear about that up front, but just knowing that you know things happen and tides turn and um, anything can, can happen, not just from a property standpoint, you're entering, uh, you know, you're, you're bringing in liability, you're, 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 you are taking a risk, you're taking an investment. So you wanna understand what that is, not just on the financial side, but there's other implications that you go, you could be dealing with people. Um, you know, maybe you do, you, you know, have you worked with renters before, have you, gone through that process, do you understand the leases? Do you understand what the rules of engagement are as far as that? So working with people that do, if you're not familiar, I've found it's been a huge help, um, not just from a time savings perspective, so I can help clients and you know put my uh, you know attention into mortgage um, without having to do certain things on a daily basis that you know some investors do. If you're a full-time investor and that's what you do, it may look different. So um, when it comes back down to it though, just knowing um, how to structure a team and getting pe the right people around you is, is a big help, I think. It was a big help for me to get in as well. Well, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the Real Evader. 
um, everybody's going to uh, benefit from your experience and your wisdom here. Uh, thank you for those shared words. Yeah, hopefully. If you more. enjoyed what you, you saw today on the Realivator and you heard, please, hey, go ahead and like it. If you loved what you heard today, please subscribe. Uh, take care and invest well.